The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Well, uh, my name is Alan, and uh, today we're talking about conflict. What better day to talk about conflict than Mother's Day? Maybe there's already been a moment of this this morning with the, uh, would you get your shoes on and get in the car, please? Just get your shoes on and get in the car. I don't want to go to church. You're going to go to church because it's Mother's Day. It's my day, and you're going to be happy about it. You understand what I'm saying? My wife and I had a little bit of conflict this week uh, because... Uh, we've talked about kind of the plans for the uh, uh, Phoenix Coyotes game uh, this afternoon. Now, let me just say, go Yotes, okay? They're in the third round of the playoffs. It's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah! Game one against LA is today at 5 o'clock, and when I gave my wife uh, the schedule, she said, um, she said, no mom had a hand in planning a five o'clock playoff game on Mother's Day. That wasn't a mom who was part of that deal. So, so uh, you know, God bless us all as we uh, negotiate that whole deal. But uh, <laughs> as the title uh, suggests, when mama ain't happy, finish it with me, nobody's happy. Now, even in the most loving relationships, there is conflict. Even in the most loving people, there is conflict. Most first-time moms, I think, from my experience, don't really have a full grasp of how much conflict there's going to be with this amazingly beautiful, precious little baby. And most first moms are going to say, how can I possibly have conflict with that little thing? Because that, that little cry turns from a sweet little whimper into a fire alarm. In a matter of weeks... And the whole thing, it just, it just, the conflict seeps in. Even the most loving relationships have conflict. I remember when we had our firstborn, and, you know, there's a lack of sleep, and uh, my wife and I are just trying to get through this, and, and um, there would be times where I would uh, uh, love to hold little Gordon on my chest when I was lying down in bed, but you'd always have to be careful, because uh, I'm a really heavy sleeper, and so if I fall asleep on that, you never know what's going to happen, so I'd do that, but I'd make sure, you know, we, we wouldn't, you know, put him back in his crib um, so that I wouldn't fall asleep in bed and all that, and that's just what we had to be careful with, and one night I had a nightmare, and in the middle of the night, two or three o'clock in the morning, I, uh, I woke up uh, screaming, saying, where's Gordon? Where's Gordon? And I flipped all the sheets up. And, where's Gordon? Where is he? I fell asleep. Where is he? Where is he? And, uh, and my wife woke up, and she's, <laughs> and we're all panicking. And then I realized, oh, it's just a dream. Oh, oh Sorry about that. <sighs> and I'm back to sleep in a matter of three seconds. My poor wife, loving mom, who can't get enough sleep as it is, is up for hours because of the adrenaline that got pumped in those 10 seconds of screaming from her loving, idiotic husband. So, I mean, and, and the, the, the older the kids get, the more complicated the conflicts get. The di- they, they get different, right? And, and they get more complicated. When uh, one of my boys was two and a half years old, he became really interested in the word poop. 
And uh, he wanted to say it, and he knew that he wasn't allowed to say it. So there was a boundary issue. Absolutely, we were kind of coming up against a boundary issue. Now, the word in itself is pretty innocuous, but for us, it kind of represented the beginning of this boundary journey to say it's okay for mom and dad to say that's appropriate, that's not appropriate, that's our role is to love and guide you through that. But my son decided the word poop was really fun. And so he would say it, and we'd say, Martin, you're not allowed to say that word. Please stop saying that word. And then he'd look up, poop, and he'd give it to us again. <laughs> you're going to have to go in timeout. Just take a little bit of a break. Let's kind of stop. Let's just get over this. A few minutes in timeout, comes back, and he tries it on us again, poop. So I say, Martin, uh, the next step is I'm going to put a drop of Tabasco sauce on your tongue. Just a little drop on there. I never have done this before. Uh, I tasted plenty of it when I was growing up, so I thought I might as well share that. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I said, uh, Martin, that's the next step. And he, maybe he was uh, a little bit curious, but he uh, tossed out the word again. And so then I said, uh, Martin, here we go. Uh, stick out your tongue. <laughs> Closed mouth. And he wasn't going there. So you know how the conflict goes with kids. You, you've got to kind of ramp it up and you've got to decide, is this something worth fighting for? I mean, it's the whole deal how we handle this as parents. So what I decided to do, right or wrong, it's just what I decided to do with uh, Martin. I know my kid uh, pretty well. And uh, so he was, again, he was two and a half. So we took him up into his bedroom. We only did this a handful of times, uh, but we would take him up in his room and put him in an old car seat and lock him in a car seat up in his room because he would just be crazy. He would just kind of wouldn't settle down. And so, but he hated the car seat because it was restraining. He needed just a moment to settle down. Put him in the car seat for five minutes. He was okay. Came back down. He realized, okay, he was kind of losing this conflict a little bit. I said, okay, stick out your tongue. And he did. Put a drop of Tabasco sauce on his tongue. Oh, did it hurt. He screamed. He screamed. Put the Tabasco sauce aside. Lifted him up. Whenever you do any kind of uh, a quick redirection discipline with a child, you got to make sure there's love immediately following that. And so I picked him up. Loved on him. Loved on him. He's screaming and crying and screaming and crying. And mom doesn't like the scene. She's watching. She's struggling because she's a loving mom. And she says, Martin, what does it taste like? He said, Tastes like poop. <laughs> it's a very true story. Very, very true story. So now that was, that was the end of the whole deal. We all started laughing and the whole thing was done. And the older our kids get, the more complicated the conflicts get and the deeper they get. And sometimes, you know, our oldest now is 11, and sometimes the, the, the conflicts with siblings are just so intense, and I wonder, where does that, some, that animosity come from towards one another, and where does that come from? It certainly doesn't come from my side of the family. Uh, where does this come from? And so then you have those debates as parents. You're wrestling with, do I step in? Do I let them work it out? And all of those kinds of uh, 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 battles and, and, and things that we have with regard to conflict. Even the most loving homes have conflict. Even the most loving relationships have conflict. With regard to conflict, there's two concerns that we have, two things that we're juggling, and those two things have to do with ourself and the other person. We're in conflict with somebody, then there is an issue to, to be concerned with ourself and our uh, place in that conflict, and then to be concerned with the other person. And it's the balance of those two concerns that determine the way that we handle that conflict. In fact, it's the balance of those two concerns that lead to four different ways of handling conflict. 
So one way is if there is low concern for both, low concern for yourself, low concern for the other person, that could be called avoiding. And unfortunately, it's a pretty popular angle towards conflict. Just pretend it doesn't exist. A second way is to have low concern for yourself and high concern for the other person. So that's, that can be referred to as yielding. Just whatever the situation is, whatever the other person needs, whatever the other person wants, uh, I will just defer. I'm nothing. I'm not important. I'm nobody. In this conflict, I will just back down. I'll instantly and always back down. Then a third way to handle it is if we have high concern for ourselves and low concern for the other person. And that's competing. That's competition. That is basically a a win-lose scenario. That's I'm right and you're wrong and I'll do whatever I can to prove that. And I'm going to move in that direction. It's uh, I'm concerned about myself, not concerned about you, and it's a right-wrong situation. Perhaps that shows up at work or other relationships that we might be in. Then there's a fourth way to handle it, and that is high concern for self and high concern for the other person. And that can be referred to as cooperative conflict. And so what we do is we uh, recognize that there's a balance between these two things. There's a balance between concern for ourselves and concern for the other person. Those of us as parents, those of you who are moms, when we enter into conflict, we're going to enter into one of those four types of conflict. It may be that there are times where you enter in with low concern for both, and that's avoidance. I think that's pretty rare for moms, pretty rare. Uh, That might show up as a mom who's just checked out, a mom who's just distant, just sit for whatever reason, is just not engaged in the process, passing that off on grandparents or on the dad or somebody else. I think that's pretty rare. What would be more common is if there's low concern for self and high concern for the other person, the yielding role. This is where a mom will say, whatever the child needs. This is child-centered parenting. This is where the mom or the parent will say, um, will defer whatever uh, the child needs regardless of whatever's going on with the mom. See, this is called spoiling. And children, our children have enough selfishness naturally embedded in them as a result of natural sin. We all do. But our children have enough selfishness embedded in them. We don't need to fuel that by yielding to their every desire and whim and wish. And then a third uh, way that a parent could respond is to have a high concern for self and low concern for the other person. And then this would be a, uh, a competing win-lose kind of scenario as a parent. This is where we get really frustrated because our kids just don't get it. What's wrong with them? Why can't they pick it up? Why can't they understand? Why can't they get it? This leads to impatience and thoughtless discipline at times. So far, aren't you glad you came here on Mother's Day? <laughs> now, there is a fourth one that I know many of you participate in, and, and uh, you know, likely without the language, but this idea of having high concern for yourself and high concern for the other person, a cooperative conflict effort of saying, I value myself. There's a balance between that and the value and the love that you have for the child. See, moms, you need to take care of yourself. That's why we love celebrating Mother's Day. You need a break. 
You get to take care of yourself. You need a spa day. Tell your husband right next to you, I need a spa day. I mean, just right now. You need a break. You need a vacation. You need to be loved. You need to have, it's okay uh, in, to enter into cooperative conflict by saying there are times for me to, to take care of myself. That you love on the child and you get to take care of yourself. Dads, that's our role as well, is to pour into that. How can I love you? How can I enter into a room and say, what can I do? How can I help? To pour into taking care of our moms who are working so hard and, and loving so hard and pouring uh, so much into the, into the love of of our kids, of their kids. It's okay to think about concern for the other, for ourselves, moms, it's okay. Because when mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Now, why are we talking about conflict today? I mean, it fits with moms, I mean, in a role and all that. But I wanna kinda look back, step back a little bit and uh, invite you into a series that we've been looking at this whole year. If you're brand new with us, this whole year we've been doing this series called A.D., the year of our Lord. A.D. means Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. We've been spending the whole year looking at what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And we've been walking through some different stages of relationship. If it's a real relationship, it'll have stages just the way human relationships have. And we've talked about discover uh, uh, as a part of that. And last time we talked about, the last few weeks we've been talking about wonder and the areas of supernatural encounters that we have with Jesus. And now we're entering into the reality of conflict. That there is conflict in a relationship with Jesus. If it's a real relationship, then there will be real conflict. Even in the most loving relationships, there is conflict. And maybe the conflict will show up as, Jesus, why did you not show up in this particular situation? Jesus, how did you let this happen? Jesus, how could you be so offensive in this part of Scripture, and yet you're unclear about some other issues that I would like more clarity on? There's different ways that we can have conflict with Jesus. I want to take a look real quick at a conflict Jesus had in Matthew chapter 16, if you brought your Bibles, it's the first book in the New Testament. It's an encounter that Jesus has with his main guy, Peter. Peter's kind of the leader of the 12. We've been talking about being one of the, one of the disciples, and Peter's kind of the main guy. And in Matthew chapter 16, many of you are familiar with this story, but I just want to take a look at it briefly with you. Beginning in verse 13. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This man's name was Simon, and Jesus renames him Peter, which means rock. This is a big day for Simon. You are now Peter the Rock. 
And then in the next verse, verse 21, skip one verse, verse 21 now. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Peter's feeling pretty bold. He's the rock. He has an opinion. He can step forward and speak straight into it. Jesus turned and said to Peter the rock, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. See, that's conflict. Even in the most loving relationships, there is conflict. Jesus is not just a child-tickling, lamb-petting guy. He's fierce. He's dangerous. Some people uh, love the idea of a relationship with Jesus or getting to know Jesus because Jesus isn't going to be bold enough to bother them. Jesus is kind of like the perfect friend who just doesn't say anything. It's kind of like a a golden retriever with cosmic power. Good boy, good boy. Sit, stay, stay, because I'm going over here now. Or better yet, maybe Jesus is like a pet rock or an imaginary friend, someone with whom we would never have any conflict. But that's not the Jesus that we read about in Scripture. He is all that grace and love, but he's fierce. He's fierce and he's challenging and he's dangerous. Conflict is essential in relationships. It defines relationships. Relationships are super easy without conflict. I mean, they're completely, completely easy without conflict. I mean, marriage, it's only the conflict part that makes marriage hard. Marriage is really hard because of conflict. I mean, any conversations about sex or about money or whatever the challenges are, they have to do with conflict. Relationships are always easy sans conflict. Relationships at work, dating, friendships, they're all easy without conflict. Conflict is the defining piece of relationships. It's the thing that identifies the strength and the health of a relationship. And if our relationship was real with Jesus, there will be conflict. Now, the unique thing about our relationship with Jesus in terms of conflict is that he's never wrong. Ooh, there's that one little piece there. See, because right and wrong, that's a major issue in terms of conflicts. And Jesus is never wrong. We can disagree with him. We can misunderstand him. uh, But we can't look at the red letters in Scripture. If we are one of the 12, if we are following Jesus, we can't look at the red letters in Scripture and say, you know, I'm just going to dismiss that part. I'm just going to dismiss it. He must be wrong. He's wrong. And I'm going to move on. We, we, just, we just can't. He's the, he's the creator of the world. The red letters are the stuff. They're the stuff that's not wrong. And we have a hard time with right and wrong. That's a major part of conflict. That's a major part of it. Sometimes it's way too important in our conflict. Way too important, the whole right and wrong issue. We're describing a story. We're sharing a struggle with someone we love. And we say, well, you, when you came home and you were late on Thursday. And then we say, oh, it wasn't on Thursday, it was Wednesday. 
No, it was Thursday that you came home late. It was Wednesday that I came home late. It was Thursday. It was Wednesday. It was Thursday. It was Wednesday. Are we missing the point here? And then, or then we say, and then you got on the phone, and you talk with your brother for like an hour. I didn't talk with my brother. I talked with my mom. You talk with your brother on the phone. No, it was your, it was your mom. No, it was your brother. No, it was your mom. And so what happens is we enter into this, and we know we're right and the other person's wrong. Absolutely. We know, we know we're right and the other person's wrong. And so then we just completely dismiss them because they don't get the facts right. If you don't get the facts right, why should I even spend any time uh, talking with you about this? You're just simply wrong, so I'm not interested in your feelings or whatever's underneath that because the facts are wrong. Sometimes, people, the facts don't matter. Sometimes the facts don't matter. It is not about being right or wrong. In marriage, if you haven't understood that sometimes the facts don't matter, my guess is there's a whole lot of conflict going on. It's just a guess. So with Jesus, there is no right wrong. There can be misunderstandings, but there is no right wrong. But it doesn't mean there's no conflict. I'm confident that every mom here in this room has had a conflict with God with regard to your role as mom. Maybe it's just, it's just the simplicity of why is my child so hard to manage? Why is this moment, it doesn't fit what the books say it should fit or what it happens in the movies or with my friends? Why is this so hard for me? God, how could you allow my child to have friends like that at school. I've done a great job on my end, and then they go and connect with those other friends and they're screwing my kid up. That's frustrating. God, how could you allow that to happen? And for some, this morning, there's just the, the painful reality that today, you don't get to be called mom. How do we handle that kind of very real, very difficult conflict with Jesus? How do we handle that? I think we have the same four options in terms of how we, we engage with Christ. Do we have low concern for both and just kind of avoid the whole thing? We don't care that much about what Jesus says and we don't care that much about ourselves to work through it? Do we have a, a yielding angle with Jesus and we just say, oh, I, I'm nothing, I don't matter, yet, yet uh, God is supreme and so uh, I, will just, uh, I will just be a, a doormat in every in every encounter, I won't even um, kind of enter into the conversation. Do we try to compete with God and say, you know, I, I'm here to protect myself and, uh, and I'm going to put, uh, I'm not going to have less concern over what God has to say in my life? Or will we again enter into this fourth place of strength in terms of conflict, in terms of cooperation, and to have a high concern for yourself and a high concern for the one you're in conflict with? A high concern for yourself means that you can say to God what the desire of your heart is. You can say to God what hurts, what you desire, what you want. Seek first the kingdom of God and his things will be added unto you. Present your requests to God, Paul says. God wants us to articulate the desires of our hearts to him. He wants us to do that. That's part of the relationship that he desires with us. Isn't that awesome? We get to have that kind of relationship, bring that to him, and have high concern, high value, high respect for the sovereignty of the God 
with whom we have conflict. And that God, Jesus Christ, is never wrong. He's never vindictive. He's never impatient. He's never um, absent, ignoring. That's just not his character. That's what, what we have as a gift in the Bible is to know the character of God, and those things are not the character of God. Conflict is not bad. Conflict is not an indicator that your relationship is messed up. The issue is how we handle conflict. So for the next six weeks, uh, we're going to talk about conflict with the Messiah, conflict with Jesus, and we're going to look at some very real types of uh, conflicts and, and difficult journeys with Christ. And how can we cooperate and stay engaged in those conflicts so that we can grow as a result? Again, conflict is not bad. It's not an, uh, an indicator that your relationship is a mess. It's how we handle the conflict. Moms, may you be blessed today for the thousands of times that you have engaged in conflict with love and truth and strength and patience, ways that no one else ever sees that you have engaged cooperatively in conflict. May you not back down. May you not avoid conflict, but lean into it because your kids need it. They need your presence. They need your love. They need your tough, consistent love. They need it. They need you there even though it just seems like they want you gone. They need your cooperative love. Take care of yourself and love on our kids as we lean into this. When mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. But when mama is happy, when mama has an understanding of, of her amazingly significant eternal role of pouring into the hearts of little kids, mama is happy. When mama's happy, everybody is happy. Mamas, today, may you be blessed, may you be happy, joyful, content, knowing the significance of your role in the big things and in the small things. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for moms once again. And there's so many different kinds of moms here in this room, and Maybe some moms uh, struggle with conflict with, diff with different of the four different ways. And may you um, inspire us all towards this high level of, of conflict, a conflict that, that uh, draws the best out of our kids, that draws the best out of ourselves. I pray, Father, that all of us would, um, would be inspired by the invitation from you to enter authentically in relationship relationship with others, relationship with you. May we lean into these relationships knowing that you will be right there with us. Bless moms today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.